Welcome to Pragmatic Live, a podcast that helps product teams define, build, market, launch, and price innovative products. I'm Mark Stiving, a Pragmatic Marketing Instructor. Joining us today is Dave Nash. He's VP of Product Management at CDK Global. You may have heard of them as ADP Dealer Services. He's also a founder, though, of Product Camp in Portland, where Pragmatic Marketing is a sponsor. And at the 2016 Portland Product Camp, Dave gave what I heard, I didn't get to see it, but I heard was a fascinating presentation called The Product Zombie Apocalypse. It was a look at a very unique topic that plagues many product teams. So today, we're going to talk zombies with Dave Nash. Welcome, Dave. Well, thanks, Mark. It's fun to be here with you. Okay, i got to start. What is the zombie apocalypse? Well, Mark, the zombie apocalypse occurs when uh, some once young, thriving, growing, healthy products are neglected. And after enough years, they're not living anymore. They're just the undead. They roam the earth. They're still working at, at probably more than a couple of customers. And they are slowly killing you, my friend, because they're costing you money in several different dimensions. So these once happy products, uh, you must kill them. Our job is to kill them and put them out of our misery. So we would think of the zombie metaphor as they should be dead, but they're not. Yes, yes. And, and you know, continuing the metaphor, the general thing we've seen is that you, you probably didn't kill them effectively the first time. So the, the zombie thing really is fitting. <laughs> so we try to kill them once and they don't, they don't die. Yeah, yeah. Certainly in my own experience at a couple of companies and talking to enough other product managers, we often start to kill products and then are talked out of it or influenced away from doing that for all kinds of reasons. And so we half kill them, we starve them, we stop investing in them, and still, and still they walk the earth. Hmm. Okay, well, we're going to get into why we uh, shouldn't kill products, because I don't think we should kill products. Not really. We're just going to try to defend that. But, uh, <laughs> let me start with you. Why is this important? Why is this a big issue? Well, I, I think what we found in our own experience is that we have a pretty broad product line. Many companies our size have product lines of hundreds of hundreds of product offerings, lots of different segments of customers, and it's very easy for products to go on and on for years, and it's, it actually takes, in my experience, as much rigor and as much discipline to take a product out of the market as it does to bring a new product to market. And with so much emphasis in companies, and you know, any companies any larger than startups that are very focused on minimum viable product and trying to do just one thing well, companies with larger portfolios are often focused on net new, you know, doing the next thing, servicing our largest customers and what they're asking for. And so products that, uh, that don't need a lot of need and don't need a lot of investment, they, they tend to just stay rooted. And the longer you let them stay rooted, the harder the harder it is, you know, again, to, to terminate them later. So, and they're costing us in, in several different dimensions, direct costs, indirect costs, and opportunity costs, and all the other things we could be spending our scarce resources on. Because yeah, it seems to me that I'm a product manager. I want to be working on a new product. I can see the revenue growth for that. I can see why it's good for the company. But I don't see why it's good for the company to kill an old product. Can, you, uh, can we dive down a little deeper into that? Sure, sure. And, and that's exactly, I think, what most, what most people who haven't 
who haven't done this kind of cleanup would tell you. Once upon a time, you would sell a product XYZ, perhaps it was at an earlier stage of, of the company's growth, perhaps it when you were still growing your product line, and you had some number of customers adopt it. And while the product may nominally work well, uh, you're still taking support costs on it. And, you know, in our case, we've, we've measured and monetized these support costs. We're still having our, our sprint teams, that's the product manager, and the entirety of their corresponding development team investing time in making sure that new features from time to time are backhauled to these old products, fixing bugs in these old products, especially if they're regulatory products or, or causing some infosec vulnerability or something like that. And so, again, we we're actually accruing costs in, in support, in product development, in, uh, in dev, test. Uh, when an old product comes in uh, that, for example, might have a defect, and look, we all know that software has defects, that's just part of the game. We spend time trying to recreate that defect, root cause it, fix it, you know, deploy it and get it out again. And, and again, that product doesn't necessarily represent where the company needs to head. It's just kind of an albatross or, or a zombie that's not letting you get on with the things you want to get on with. So those are just some of the costs that we accrue in keeping these old products in markets. And why, you know, I think that a good product manager has to be motivated you know, to not just add stuff to the roadmap, but to manage the tail at the end of the roadmap and, and take the old things out as well. Yeah, I can imagine the companies that don't quantify the support costs, the extra dev, and they're not watching how much they're actually putting into these products, they, they find it really hard to kill old products. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's insidious. There's all kinds of reasons that we discussed in our, in our camp uh, our product camp session, you know, salespeople probably prioritize renewals. It's an easier effort than, you know, than trying to upsell a customer from a product that's going to go away. There's all kinds of inertia and momentum to keeping that product there because the easy thing is to do nothing and just let you know, let those products keep billing. Uh, but, again, that's that's generally only telling part of the story. So I would say not only is it the easy thing, it's also the inertia, it feels like. So I've got a list of excuses that I have for why we don't want to kill products. Can I give them to you and hear what you have to say? Yeah, I imagine I've heard many of them, but please go ahead. Okay. So my first one, some customers love this. How can you kill it? Yeah, you know, one thing I learned uh, from Pragmatic and elsewhere is, you know, we're solving for the intersection of urgent and pervasive. One of those alone is not sufficient to, you know, to establish or grow a business. And every one of my customers, and perhaps yours, has that favorite feature and that favorite product. And the fact is, when that feature is not broadly valued, then, you know, someone's going to have a tough conversation that you may lose your favorite feature. But we're trying to run a business. And, again, we have to solve for ubiquity and pervasiveness. And uh, if that feature is not broadly important, then we really can't rationalize, you know, continuing to invest in that feature. And sometimes features go away. If you look at what Microsoft did with Windows 10, for example, they took away some low-paying things like Windows Solitaire. You know, there's two generations yeah. of people that grew up playing Solitaire, and they're not going to have Solitaire anymore. And, you know, most of them are going to get over it. They took away some other things, too, and uh, Media Center and those kinds of things. So, you know, there, there, there are tough conversations and there's, and there's prioritizing that we have to get through, but ultimately we do have to give up some things in order to move forward. Yeah, and I, and I like the impact and pervasiveness argument. That works really well. I think I've learned okay, that from Pragmatic. 
Well, <laughs> maybe that's why I like it so much. So the second one, look, it doesn't cost us anything. We already have it. Well, yeah, the the default position is is not doing anything is always is always the easy way out, especially especially with a product team that is is you know overwhelmed with with new things to do. But again, what we've discovered in Spage is that it, it does cost you, and somewhere in your company, I promise you, uh, in the CFO's office or or in accounting or finance, somewhere it's costing you. It's costing your salespeople. It's costing your support people, and you know each one of those costs may not be tremendous, but you may be getting killed by these zombies via 10,000 paper cuts. And at the end of the year, when you accrue that money, you know. It, it's not it's not unprecedented for it to be in the millions of dollars, and that number will go up in uh, in scale. You know, with the size of the company, the number of customers using a product, and the the width of the product portfolio. So it it really is costing you. The other thing is costing you is opportunity cost. These things are draining your energy. Every minute I spend firefighting an old product is a minute I don't have to be you know innovating in my product portfolio. It's a minute that my dev team doesn't have to be, you know, building out a new feature. So again, there's there's direct costs, indirect costs, and and opportunity cost. And we've measured, you know, we've measured all three of those. Hmm. Okay, I can't wait to hear about the measurements. We're going to ask that in a, in a little while. I, I've got some more though. If we kill this, my customers are going to go to a competitor. Yeah, I've I've heard that as well, and I suppose. You know, Michael Porter said 20 years ago that the essence of strategy is, is determining what you're not going to do, uh, more so than what you are going to do. And once you decide uh, and you have the executive sponsorship to assure your success, uh, our, our experience is that we haven't had nearly the level of customer losses that uh, we planned for, that we modeled. You know, customers want to know that their product portfolios are getting updated too. One of the examples I use often when I talk with our team and with customers is that the mobile phone that we're carrying in your pocket, and it doesn't matter whether you're an Android guy or, or an iPhone guy, we have gotten very used to, in the course of, of less than 10 years, of products coming and going and products being maintained and updated. And now, if you and I look at a, an app on our phone that has not been updated in a long time, it's, it's very uh, common to start questioning whether the company's still invested in that app. I've had several apps on my phone replaced with newer versions, and that turnover is kind of the new normal now. And that's in marked contrast to the old days when the idea was the fallacy or the myth was that, hey, if I bought software from you, you better make sure it never changes. <laughs> so uh, we've really come a long way in a very short period of time. Yeah, and, and I think the focus argument makes a lot of sense. If, if we're focused on a market segment someplace, then that customer should be in that market segment. We should be serving them and making them happy. And if they're, if they're not in that market segment, it's okay. That's exactly right. It's not only okay, but it's imperative for everything we know about product management leadership. It's imperative that most of our customers benefit and we're focused on solving the needs of the many that are highest value. Uh, and with apologies to Mark Twain, or Mr. Spock, as the case may be, you know, the needs of the many do outweigh the needs of the few or the needs of the one. <laughs> See, I was listening. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, um, so here's another one. I have a strategic customer, and it's going to affect the sales of other products. They won't like us anymore. 
Yeah, strategic customers are always the big hammer that the CEO or the VP of sales swings. And, you know, strategic customers uh, are so-called, I think, for a number of reasons. Often, often it's not because of their billings. Sometimes it is, but often it's because they are pathfinders and other customers will follow in their in their footsteps, you know, months or years later. And strategic customers uh, in any company often require uh, a special organization and a special set of adaptive business processes. Call it professional services, if you will. We have one here at CDK, and many companies do. So the needs of, of very large influential customers can be served in ways other than your standard product line. Again, if I'm solving for one customer, it's a very different dynamic, even if it's an important customer, than solving for the, the largest market opportunity. So we would do that today through professional services rather than through custom versions of, of products that could otherwise be standard. Okay, and then the last one I have that I think you brought up already, but I'm going to let you hit this one out of the park again. As a product manager, it's really important that I'm working on new, innovative products. I can't waste my time with that old stuff. Yeah, that's that's what we've heard. That's what I've lived through. And so we have tried to model, you know, really shine a bright light on how those product managers and their sprint teams, their development partners, and the quality people and the test people and, and the deployment folks, how everybody uh, will have a better life in general and be more fulfilled doing new stuff by having to do less of the old stuff. We have people count, actually count, the hours in every sprint, the number of firefighting calls that they were taking on supporting older products, and it turned out, you know, we were initially surprised, but no longer are, that there, once you start accounting and having people look through their records and look through their stories in their next couple of sprint backlogs, it was fairly easy to find consensus that we were spending much more time than we ever thought we were, individually and organizationally, on doing stuff which was not moving our product line forward. It was really remarkable, and we never knew it until we started watching it. Wow. And I'll bet most companies don't track that. That would be fascinating for companies to track and realize how much money they're wasting supporting old products. That's true, but it's not, it's not just about the money savings. It's about focusing on a great customer experience. You know, I, I'm a little wary of having it just be a, a cost-focused discussion because that is one component. Sure, it, it's an important component, but when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm in a room full of customers, as I was with a user group about a month ago, you know, they all want to know that we're investing, that we're moving uh, our product line forward, and they're happy. You know, as it turns out, it's not happy. They're at least resigned and are more than okay in most cases with giving things up uh, if there's a net benefit for them. And the net benefit for them, you know, is, is pretty clear. Uh, products get better over time. Uh, you may lose an individual feature, but sometimes they'll redo entire workflows, and the customers just, you know, nine times out of ten is going to have a much better experience uh, when, they, when they let go of the old stuff. And uh, what we're doing now is arming not just our product folks, but our sales folks, every part of the company that touches customers to be able to really articulate why it's in their best interest and not just our best interest for them to move forward and move off of the older products. Wow. Let's dive in a little bit on how do we do this. So hopefully people in the audience are now saying, yes, this is good. I want to do this. Now, how do I go about it? It doesn't seem like it's going to be an easy task. Well, like like many product managers and, and product leaders and executives go through, 
you know, it's all about the business case. And so, again, in our, in our example that we used in our Product Camp Portland session, we made a quick spreadsheet up. And the spreadsheet has various categories in there. And so I'll just go through a couple of them as examples. By the way, the, all the notes from our Product Camp sessions are posted, and we can get the URL out to your listeners easily enough. Okay, so good. product managers are spending time managing legacy products. Uh, so how many units of time, how frequently over how many products, What's the rate that we pay a product manager? And, you know, there's your first number. Uh, dev and test, the time in each sprint that they're spending, you know, keeping those uh, older products maintained. Again, rate, you know, by number of units gives you a number for that. Next category, how much time are we spending as a team firefighting and defect resolution? So reproducing, root causing, fixing, and deploying those fixes on all products. There's act that's actual time. And again, uh, not just direct time and cost, but time you didn't have available to do new stuff. Uh, dev infrastructure. What kind of systems are we keeping alive just for the sole purpose of supporting these old products? You know, I'll bet there's more than a couple of servers that, you know, every one of your listeners can retire in their company. And so there are hard operating costs along with that. Uh, what about third-party costs? What kind of software licenses are we paying or other recurring uh, bill of materials or cost of goods are we paying on some of those older licenses. Again, these may not be tremendously high costs individually, but when you aggregate them, you know, you'll be amazed, as we were, that it comes out to a fair amount of money. So that's the business case. You, you pencil this out, you know, you be thoughtful about it, you use real data, and you can find advocates in your company, you know, in finance, in the CFO's office, Anybody who is really focused on the bottom line, which hopefully is enough people in any company, and you'll find advocates once you show them, you know, how they're really paying for this to help you move forward and be your champion. Yeah, and usually our CFO is a very good advocate in something like this and trying to help us clean up and find those hidden costs. As, as has ours. Very, very strong support from our executive committee. They understand the value. Okay, and and so what about convincing customers this is the right thing? Do we is there a special process that we need to go through here? Well, we should always be in constant dialogue with our customers, right? Nahito, as as you guys have shared with us. Yep. So if you're out if you're out in the field every day with clients, then hopefully there's not a whole lot of surprises. And again, uh, to, to repeat what we said just a couple of minutes ago, there may be some feature or some product gap that we as a product team have to solve for. If it's a pervasive need, then we have to make sure that we've built a bridge. You know, we've moved our, our customers' data from product X to product Y. So whether they're migrating their programs, their data, their configuration settings, that's all part of the product. And, and you know, we would argue that whole product 101 tells us that if your product doesn't do all those things, you don't have a product. So you have to bring customers along. You have to build bridges. And if the customer does have to give something up, then you have to be able to articulate how the thing they're giving up will be eclipsed by the much greater value they will gain from moving from the older product to the new product. And, and so we have to have it well planned out, understand the different market segments, what features or capabilities they're using, and have that communication with them. That seems fair. Yeah, you mentioned something really, really important, Mark, uh, utilization. We never know well enough as any company 
you know, how, our, how and why our products are being used. That's one of those wonderful things that we started building instrumentation into our products, you know, not, not way back in the day, but more recently. And, you know, that gives you market facts and market evidence. So you don't have any guesswork about what's really valuable. So I can't emphasize enough for software companies of all size in all industry segments that you need to instrument your product so you really understand uh, what is being used. Yeah, and I was actually thinking along that line, I was actually thinking that different market segments use different sets of features, and so it probably makes sense to move certain market segments first and say, look, we're going we're gonna to kill this for this market segment, and later we're going to kill it for this other market segment. Well, that's exactly right. You're going to want a segment for so many reasons, and when, if you're taking a product out of the market, you'll want a segment for the, same, uh, for the same purposes, either to maximize conversion rate, to minimize revenue impact or losses if you're going to have any losses, to maximize synergy with other product line changes, especially across a larger company. You may have more than one product portfolio or more than one product in your portfolio that a customer is using. So absolutely, you'll want to segment and be very thoughtful about it. So one thing you had mentioned to me just as we were having conversations before the, the recording it was you require product managers to put this on the roadmap. Can you describe that to me? Oh, absolutely. That was one of our epiphanies a couple of years ago. I have created, reviewed, and approved countless roadmaps in my career that only march to the right. <laughs> they only have new things going on there. Uh, it's as if, you know, only new babies are born and no one ever dies. And, and so this was a blind spot, I think, for many companies and product managers not realizing they had to tend to the products that were out there already. So it's now incumbent on our product managers to make sure that before they introduce a new product, that if there is an existing product in that category, that they have a migration plan, that there's going to be very clear, you know, end of life migration. Customers don't want to be surprised either. And again, if they've had a product for many years, they're not, they're not in the habit of changing that product fairly often. It's going to take them some time. They may have customized it. They may have really invested their own business processes around it. But we found, even with some of our longest legacy products that we're retiring now, with clear uh, upfront communications and giving customers adequate time so they can claim they were never, they were never warned or notified, that uh, they are most agreeable to, uh, to moving forward. The trick is building that into your process so the notifications and the reminders, maybe there's a first, second, or third warning. Uh, there's certainly going to be sales incentives, a combination of carrots and sticks uh, to help customers really be motivated and incentivized to move forward, that it's very doable. Okay, I have one last, probably a really hard question, but last question. This doesn't sound sexy. It doesn't sound fun. And so how does a product manager get glory for killing products? Because you're right, Mark, it, it isn't it isn't the thing that most people think about when they when they envision their career as a product manager rock star. But hopefully we've identified in the course of our discussion why it's so crazy important, you know, to our companies. And so we go out of our way to tell those stories, to create heroes, to make our product managers uh really happy and give them recognition and fulfillment so they understand that, you know, product manager, being a good product manager, being an effective leader, you know, has this dimension of it as well. Uh, we, we recognize them. We tell the stories. We especially like to share stories of customers who, for, for whatever reason, either hadn't thought about, you know, moving up in a product line or leaving an old product line behind and shattering the myths 
that this was going to be a problem. So it, it's, a, it's a cultural change, you know, for companies that haven't done this, and a cultural change equally for customers who have been very happy on the same software for many years. So we have to celebrate that culturally, and, and we're doing it, and it's making a huge difference. It sounds to me like it's one of those things, like many things, that when it's driven through the culture from the executive level, then it's so much easier to adopt and start doing these. So maybe it's one of those cultural changes we have to start driving throughout all organizations. Well, I think you're right, Mark. And if there's anything I've learned in talking to people outside our company is that we're not alone, that many companies, again, any company of size who has a, a portfolio that's more than a few years old or more than a few products wide has this challenge. And, uh, again, if you were born in the cloud, if you were born as a SaaS provider, you never will. But most of us, most of us who are more than a couple of years old, uh, have lots of generations of products out there. And there's a better customer experience, there's a better financial reward, and there's basically a better job for us as product managers if you can make this, you know, part of your normal business practice and product. Excellent. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time today. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. If anyone wants to contact you, how do they do that? Well, you can reach me at david at pcamppdx.org. If you want to see the session materials, they're posted up at the Product Camp Portland website, and that's productcampportland.org. Uh, they're also up on SlideShare, just Google Product Zombie Apocalypse. And I'd love to hear stories from people. Feel free to reach out to me. And, Mark, if you ever want to go zombie hunting, I have, I have some weapons here and would love to take you out. Hey, I appreciate that. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> All right. To our listeners, I hope you got value out of this podcast today. We'd love to hear from you, too. Uh, praises, suggestions for improvement, questions you'd like us to address, or maybe even just some random thoughts you might have. Please send any comment to experts at pragmaticmarketing.com. And also, don't forget to join us for the next episode of Pragmatic Live. See you next week.